I don't want Adam to call me for the first four or five months. I don't want to speak to him. I need to have focus on Meetup. I don't want to get distractions. I just need to have full focus. And I kid you not, and Adam's a tough person to, you know, keep on a leash, shall we say. But Adam at one point called me up because he wanted my advice on on a, a person that I used to work with. He said, David, I'm calling you. I know I'm not allowed to call you or speak to you, but I just have a quick question. And I'm like, wow, you actually like really listen. This is great. And then once that time was up, then then you know, everything went crazy. But it was it was a big challenge. And the reason for the challenge was because WeWork had acquired Meetup with a very specific rationale. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazne, and boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, David Siegel, is in the house. What's up, David? It is good to be a main man. I'm liking that. Oh, good to be I'm here. Lo- I'm loving it. It's happy Friday, my friend. Oh, yeah. Every Friday is a happy day because get the weekend Yes, it is. Um, so look, for listeners who are new to the show, the, the Greatness Machine, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my man, David, is neither short of passion or greatness, and I'm so excited for us to be getting into it. Uh, for those of you that are new to Mr. David Siegel, David's kind of a big deal. So we got a big deal on the show today. We've had a big deal, a couple of big deals this week, but David is the CEO of meetup.com and he oversees the global business. They have they have 52 million members. Many of you have probably partaken in the meetup experience. They host 15,000 events daily and they have events in 193 countries. Uh, he hosts Keep Connected. It's a podcast devoted to power of community, and he's a business leader and expert in building personal and professional communities. Man, we were talking earlier, like just before we got started, he's like, I'm on five boards. I got my book. We'll be talking about the book in just a second here. Teaches at Columbia. You teach entrepreneurial, organizational, strategic management. And we're going to be talking about the book, the new book that's coming out March 8th. Is that correct? You got it. We're talking about Decide and Conquer, 44 Decisions That Will Make or Break All Leaders, coming out March 8th in all major establishments. I'm so excited for the show, my brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So gosh, so look, in the greatness machine, a lot of times, you know, I'm going to say this. So David, I'm going to stroke your ego right now. As long as I, my wife doesn't hear, because her job is to, straight, to, to take it down. And my kid's job is definitely to take it down. So like it'll counterbalance everyone I'm gonna, in my I'm gonna family. Ba- I'm going to push it up. And she's going to bash it down. She's going to pop the bubble. So for those of you guys that do listen to the show, I've always have an origin story on how I know my guests. But in this case, and and this is why it's rare, and this is why I'm going to ego here, is I got cold hit up by, I guess, your PR agency that asked if you could be on the show. I don't know. I get about 20 of those a week, and you are actually the first person I've ever said yes to. Woo, okay, I'm not going to tell my family that. But, yeah. That, that, you know. 
belt out to mouth everything that they ever thought and, of. And, and, and this is what did it. The meetup.com thing was cool, but I love Seeking Alpha and you were the president of Seeking Alpha at one point in your career. And I was like, oh, I got to meet this guy. This this looks really interesting. Yeah, so I've been very fortunate to work for a lot of interesting companies and I'm obsessed with community and the, and the impact of community. So I'm sure we'll be getting to that later. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, you're like, one, this is like a one in like a thousand. And so, you know, it's funny when you have a podcast, I started this podcast, you know, I started this as a live stream almost two years ago. And then I turned in a long form podcast because I realized people don't like to watch live streams for more than 10 minutes. And I like to talk for about an hour. And <laughs> so the, the vessel did not work for the ship. And so I, I converted about a year ago, but we've done a ton of shows and people are always asking to come on. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, man, I don't want to hear about your like sales of your real estate business. It's not that interesting for me. And for the get for the, um, you know, our, our, our not our guests, but our, our listeners, you know, I want to add maximum value. And, you know, like you have a great background and a great history. You know, I, when I go, when I went through your LinkedIn profile, obviously you've done a ton of cool things. You're teaching at Columbia. You wrote the book. You're at meetup.com now. But I'd love, you know, I always like to start the show by going back to people's origin stories. I find that for me, at least, you know, my Gallup strengths, my number four strengths, learner. I'm a lifelong learner. My number five core value is curiosity. I'm a super curious person. And so for me, it's just always like, hey, how did you get to where you got to? Like, like, like you didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to be the CEO of, of meetup.com. You know, that that was a 20, probably five plus year process. But yeah, take us back. Like, you know, you've obviously had some massive accomplishments in the business world. I'm just skimming the surface here. But, you know, how did you get into where you're at today? I'd love to hear the origin story a little bit. Okay, so I'm not going to talk all about the sales of my real estate business then. I will <laughs> kick that out, even though that's all about my origin story. I'll just... <laughs> Go with something else then. That's what we'll do. Okay. Nice. So Meetup is all about building community with the world's largest platform for building community. On a personal level, my origin story is when I was a kid, and I still am, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish household, going to synagogue oftentimes. What that meant for, for me and my family was that on Friday nights, we'd have 10, 20 people from our community, our neighbors over. On Saturday, we had the same thing. We would get together as a community all the time. And I was just so fortunate to have that kind of larger village surrounding me my entire life, as long as I can remember. And um, I built like this obsession and passion for community and why Meetup became so interesting to me was because of that. So we'll, we could talk later on about kind of the impact of community, especially around its impact on the loneliness epidemic that exists out there. But the other part of my origin story that I would probably point out is that my first job, Darius, which most people don't know, is, was in human resources. I was an HR manager, HR partner. Wow. And most people do not go from like HR managers to necessary CEOs, but possibly it's great training. And the reason for that is in, in HR, you're focused on recruiting top talent. You're focused on managing people. You're focusing on motivating people, focus on building organizational structure, figuring out company culture. Well, the things that like a CEO focuses on typically is that. Exactly. All three. Exactly. You, want, you want to hear what I tell people? I say there's three things that your job is if you're going to be a CEO. And I've been a CEO my entire career. I said, you own three things. And, and, and if, if you get these three things right, you're the best. And when these three things are broken, it's your fault. You own the strategy. You own the culture. You own who's sitting on the bench. The people. That's it. And, and, and any problem that comes out of those three, it's your fault. And anything that's good, good job. 
And by the way, if you try to get over involved in anything besides those three, you're probably not doing a good job because that's why you hire your team to be in charge of. Totally. And, and it's all about what Jim Collins said. First, who, then what? Figure out the right people and then kind of get out of their way and help support and enable their success. So I started off in HR and then as an HR person, I was actually a double click, which was a well-known early 1990s bubble. When I joined, the stock was at 30. Six months later, it went up to 300. We're talking about the stock, you know, 1999 internet bubble days. And then it went back down within six months, back down to like, you know, 15. So that was a kind of a crazy time period. But one of the, my big awareness moments at DoubleClick was that I was the HR support person for the CEO and the general manager of the largest business. And what I found was that I was always advising on how do you motivate better? How do you build culture better? How do you hire better people? But ultimately, the final decision maker for all that was not me. I was a facilitation role. And I said, I don't want to just be in that facilitation role. I want to be the person that's actually making that decision and owning that responsibility and and accountable for the results. And that's when I decided to go to business school and start a career more focused in, in business and business development and general management and marketing and the things that I did. So I went to Warden for business school. And then just as a matter of coincidence, 20 years later, the CEO of DoubleClick, I kid you not, Darius, became my advisor and my mentor for 20 years and is the person who ended up acquiring Meetup out of WeWork about two years ago. Wow. Yeah. So- I didn't realize that. Everything so, goes full circle. Yeah. So so when you were at DoubleClick, the, you essentially uh, reported to the person who reported to that CEO. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I reported to a guy named David Rosenblatt, who actually then became the CEO of DoubleClick. And the CEO of DoubleClick at the time is Kevin Ryan. Kevin Ryan then went on to found MongoDB, the wow. Guild Group, Zola, and Business Insider, and started a VC firm called Alicorp. Then I kept in touch with him throughout 20 years. And then when WeWork was looking to divest Meetup and Adam Newman was looking to move on because it was kind of blowing up. Right. Uh, I called Kevin and he's like, you know what? I don't have an ability to do any due diligence. I know you're about to get sold. Let me just fund the acquisition because I trust you and let's make it happen. So, wow. you know, That's things crazy. always work in full circles. I totally forgot that WeWork bought meetup.com that yeah. I mean, which may, which from a strategic standpoint makes tons of sense, but I totally forgot that. So when you were working, so, so you've been at meetup now, what for five years, six years? Nope. I've been at meetup for close to four years. Sorry, right, Four years, 2018. Yeah. So I was thinking of your professorship. So, so you've been at there for four years. We work was blowing up what, like three years ago is when- exactly three years ago. So the first six to 12 months were like exciting. It's like, Oh my God, our valuation is $47 billion. Crazy gets to spend time with Adam Newman and go on plane rides with him and, you know, learn about, you know, the rise and of this amazing kind of quote unquote tech company. Uh, and then we suddenly started seeing 47 billion valuation, 40 billion valuation, 30, 20, 10, uh-oh. And then kind of uh, watching WeWork melt down and them telling us that they were decided to that, that Meetup was gonna be up for sale. And I was originally hired as the first CEO of Meetup after the founders. The founder had been running the company for 16 years. Right. We're about to hit our 20th anniversary in a few months. And, uh, and that's, that's also never easy to take over a company from a 16 year founder. So 
Yeah. Been a ride. <laughs> so what? So so you you took over in in eighteen from a sixteen year founder. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a massive massive like maybe not value shift, but cultural shift because it's a different leader, right? So if you own the culture, you own the strategy, you own the people. And the previous person that was there built the strategy, built the culture and built the people. How was that handoff for you? Was that handoff like, was it a smooth transition or was it kind of a rough, rough road? It's always a rough road. It was smoother than it certainly could have been, which could have been terrible. But I think when you're talking about a situation where I'm taking over for the founder where Meetup was his baby and he built every element of it. The executive team that he surrounded himself with, as most founders do, is they surround themselves with people who have complementary skills to the founder. So the founder is, let's say, disorganized or is much more of a vision person. Then he or she will surround themselves with people who are more operational oriented. But when a new CEO comes in, the, the entire puzzle gets all messed up. Because the comp- I was, I'm very different than Scott Heiferman, the founder. He's great in certain things, much better than I am, and, and I'm stronger in other areas. So the, the complementary nature between the executive team that he had supporting him is very different than mine. So again, on the first who, then what concept that we talked about earlier, and people within six months, well, I had about 10 or 12 direct reports in six months only one was the same direct report. <laughs> you want, I have a name for a name for that. You want to hear what it's called? Well, let's hear it. I call it the red wedding. Have Explain. You watched, have you ever watched the game of Thrones? You know, I got to start watching it. But oh, I know I suck. So, I know. No, so there's, so there's this, no, you don't suck. If you had seen game of Thrones, what I just said, you would have laughed really hard. Okay. So there's a scene, I think it's end of season two where there's a family, the family from the North is like marrying another family and they have this behind closed door, like wedding. And they're like celebrating after the wedding. It's a, it's the end. It's the last season. It's this last episode of season two. Mm-hmm. And they like close the doors and all of a sudden they basically murder the entire family. Yeah. That like, was basically us and the executive team. Yeah. 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 So when you're like, when you're getting started, I'm like, I bet you he read wedding. Everybody. <laughs> like, and, and, and it's nothing against them. No, I, no they're great people. They're they're wonderful people. It's but it's a new new culture, and they're used to the way it was always done. And so, I've always said with mergers, and I've done a couple of mergers in my life, and I learned the first time I go in there and play nice and try to keep everybody, and was working like triple time to like to get them to like acquiesce to the change. It was like painful, and so I went to my business partner, and the second time around, I said. It's, I'm never doing that again. It's red yeah. wedding. Just go in there, give them one chance. If they don't want to acquiesce, they mer- you, you give them their pink slip, pay them severance, and tell them it's done. Yeah. And really, we made decisions and changes extraordinary early. And the result of that, of course, is the domino impact. Then when every person loses their manager's manager, you know, there's chaos, right? Totally. So is that clean? No. But had we done clean, it would have taken like two or three times longer to make, you know, change management happen. And the best thing to do in change management, just got to pull that, you know, bandaid off as fast and potentially as painful as possible to start the healing and start, start everything up quickly. Or else you're, as you said, rather than focusing on your customers, rather than focusing on your product, you're spending all of your time freaking focusing on like internal obvious things that should take a five second conversation. Instead, it takes five weeks to like Draw consensus, yeah. and you know you get it. Red red wedding, baby. Red, red wedding. wedding. So, so yeah. So 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 you went in there and you you had to do the proverbial red wedding, and then now you're in the big time, baby. 
You hang out with the head of WeWork, flying in PJs, doing all the cool stuff, all the stuff that he's now infamous for. What was your experience? Like, what was your first impression of that entire scene? Of, I mean, of that. I mean, I guess when things when you first got there, obviously it was awesome. Yeah, the big valuation behind it. Yeah, and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this now, but but were you like this is this guy's nuts or like this is like total like smoke and mirrors? Like, what did you start? Did you think think anything like that? Oh, I mean, I knew that he and the business was just total nuts from the start, and I also know that when you're interviewing. People like to hire people similar to themselves. Right. So the more nuts that I could be, like during the interview process with Adam and with other executives, the higher likelihood they would end up hiring. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Hey, business leaders and decision makers, get ready to supercharge your success with the ultimate source of business leadership, wisdom, Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is your daily dose of practical advice for better business management. Visit hbr.org for the latest articles like The Art of Setting Expectations as a Project Manager or AI Can Help You Ask Better Questions and Solve Bigger Problems. But this isn't just a list. I personally found the article on AI absolutely mind-blowing. It changed how I approach technology and analytics, providing real-world tools for better decision-making. And don't miss the HBR Magazine. It's published six times a year, offering timeless insights around crucial management themes. Perfect for those moments when you just you know want to get away from the screen and dive deep into some transformative content. But wait, there's more. HBR delivers top-notch podcasts, videos, and real-world case studies. From HBR on leadership to the big idea, HBR covers it all, providing invaluable insights from the best in the business. Harvard Business Review has been a game changer for me. It's challenged my thinking and made me a more effective leader. And don't forget the newsletters. Stay up to date on a variety of business topics, ensuring you're always in the know. Ready to elevate your leadership game? Dive into hbr.org 
explore their podcasts, read their magazines. The wealth of knowledge is at your fingertip. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and your business. Hey folks, Darius Mershazade here from the greatness machine, your go-to podcast for unlocking your full potential. Now, You've heard me talk about the power of effective communication, right? It's the key to amplifying your influence, engaging others, and really making your mark in the world well. Well, hold on to your hats because I have something special for you today. Economist Education has rolled out a game-changing course on business writing and storytelling that's going to take your communication skills to the next level. Picture this. Economist Education provides online executive education courses built on the expertise and analytical rigor of The Economist itself. These aren't your run-of-the-mill classes, folks. We're talking about two to six weeks online programs designed to empower business professionals like you to thrive in a changing world and workplace. These courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who dish out the insights on the latest developments in the business world. It's like having a VIP pass to the forefront of knowledge. When you sign up, you get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. But here's the kicker, my friends. Get 15% off any course from The Economist Education exclusively available through my URL, education.economist.com forward slash greatness. And don't forget to enter the promo code greatness at registration to unlock your discount. This offer ends on March 31st. So you better hustle if you want to seize this opportunity now. Don't wait until it's too late. So for 15% off any course from The Economist Education, head over to education.economist.com forward slash greatness right now and use the promo code greatness at registration. Your future self will thank you for it now. So, you know, during an interview, for example, I walked into WeWork for my second meeting with Adam Newman and I was wearing like a white button down shirt and jeans. And I was like, wait, no one around here is wearing white button down shirts. Everyone's wearing a t-shirt. And I saw in the corner of my eye, some guy wearing a t-shirt that said meetup plus we work. I saw that. I'm like, okay, I got to get that t-shirt. So I walked over to him and I said, I'll trade you my hundred dollar Brooks brothers shirt. We're about the same size for your raggedy old meetup. We work t-shirt. Let's go into the closet, take off your shirt. I'll take off my shirt. Let's change shirts. Let's go in there. And then when I have my interview, I'm wearing the meetup plus we work t-shirt you know, that they've given out when we work at acquired meetup. And Adam's like, how the hell did you, you know, get that t-shirt? Like you're interviewing for this job. And I said, Oh, I just got the shirt off of someone's back. Yeah. And he, and he's like, dude, if you can sell getting the shirt off of someone's back, you can freaking sell anything. So I just kind of acted, you know, somewhat fun and crazy. And, uh, you know, 20, I 20, after 27 interviews at meetup and WeWork, cause I had to have consensus about like every single meetup, executive, of course, meeting me every single WeWork executive meeting me multiple times, 27 interviews over four months, I ended up getting the job. So I knew things were total whack. And what do you say, like from an H, like, especially oh you, you, you come from like a Deloitte background, right? Yeah, I worked at Deloitte. I worked at other consulting firms. Yeah. And so like, I mean, were you like 27, like guys make a fucking decision. And they weren't done. After 27, I, after meeting our founder, Scott Heiferman, three different times, and I get it. This is his baby and spending a full day with him going on from one meetup event to another meetup event. 
Scott calls me up and he said, we, we love you. We really like you. Now, in reality, WeWork already made up their mind. They were going to hire me. But WeWork didn't want to tell the meetup founder that they already made up their mind. So they needed him to make up his mind and the, ex- and the executive to make up their mind. And that they all, you know, that they all wanted me without before having it be forced. So I said, okay, Scott. He said, David, I, we're going to have a dinner. We're going to sit down to dinner for a few hours with the entire executive team. And even though you met all everyone, we just want to see how you interact in a group dynamic situation. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm done. I've had 27 interviews. I'm not prepared for three hour grilling. You know, it's just not going to work. So I called up the WeWork kind of recruiting person who was like the third different recruiting person I already had worked with because, you know, it's WeWork. And, and I'm like, I'm done. Either you give me an offer letter, you don't give me an offer letter. This is it. And they're like, okay. Here's your offer letter. So at a certain point, you just have to be like, put up or shut up. And uh, and that was it. But it would have really lasted forever. Yeah. I mean, you're like, you're n- none of you are going to be here in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that when I was meeting with you. Guys. That probably wouldn't have been like, you know, the right way to win friends and influence people. Guys, guys, what are we, what are we, what are we negotiating here? You're not even going to be here. Uh, no, I know. You're, you're, uh, hey, listen, you never go in with that mindset, but the odds are it's going to happen. So, right. so, so then you get in and, and it's obviously a shit show, you know, and Adam, how much longer did he last? I mean, he was gone like probably what, before the pandemic, I think, right? No, right, right before the pandemic. He was, he, we overlapped for a good, a good year, year and a half. I mean, I did a couple of things. So one thing is I, I was reporting into the president of WeWork, a guy named Artie Minson, who is kind of the Adam opposite, just super high integrity, actually very short compared to Adam's tall, just amazing, amazing, amazing person. And I said to um, Artie, I said, here's a rule. When I join, I don't want Adam to call me for the first four or five months. I don't want to speak to him. I need to have focus on meetup. I don't want to get distractions. I just need to have full focus. And I kid you not, and Adam's a person to, you know, keep on a leash, shall we say. But Adam at one point called me up because he wanted my advice on on a, a person that I used to work with. He said, David, I'm calling you. I know I'm not allowed to call you or speak to you, but I just have a quick question. And I'm like, wow, you actually like really listen. This is great. And then once that time was up, then then you know, everything went crazy. But it was it was a big challenge. And the reason for the challenge was because WeWork had acquired Meetup with a very specific rationale. The rationale was actually on paper a great idea, but an implementation totally didn't work. So let me explain. And it's so typical of MA, right? Sounds great, doesn't actually work. Right. The synergies are like, you know, not real. So the original idea, the premise was that Meetup is the world's best platform at helping to build community. And Meetup is the world's best platform for helping to build community. And WeWork wanted to really stand out among its co working spaces as like having the best community, the highest energy, the highest like events kind of going on in different people's offices. And they, they acquired us to create tons of meetup events and to activate WeWork offices so that everyone would want to work at a WeWork because we had all these amazing meetup events that were going on at the same time. I mean, that sounds totally rational and it makes like a ton of sense. However, when you take into account back that a good 20% of events or 30% of events are outdoors. That's not going to happen in WeWork. Nope. Second is many of our events are have 20, 30, 40 people in them, and WeWork only had spaces for like smaller conference rooms. So we couldn't really usually accommodate that. Next, most of our meetup events happen during the weekends when no one was at WeWork locations. 
any of the events not on the weekends happened in the evenings when you know when <laughs> people also weren't at WeWork events. There was only set numbers of locations of WeWork, even though they're semi-ubiquitous, they're really not the most convenient places when you already have other places. It ended up that roughly 2%, 2% of meetup events would be relevant for them to be happen at WeWork locations. And of that 2%, some are like the WeWork knitting group, the ADHD yeah. parent support group. I mean, like those are great things, but they're not, and we have lots of tech events and book club events, but they're not like mass audience, you know, type of things that everyone's interested in. So there was this premise in the beginning. And then what happened is because we were spent 160 or so million dollars to acquire it at the, the focus was how can meetup serve WeWork? How can meetup help WeWork? And then I came in and I said, Hey, we need to put our oxygen masks on. Like the plane's going down. We need to take care of ourselves first, because if our entire reason for existence is leached onto WeWork. If WeWork falls, because we knew it would, then Meetup is going to fall big time with it. Yeah. So we had to try change a lot of things to make us kind of successful outside of just serving our master. Yeah. Well, hold on. So they paid $160 million for, for Meetup. Yes. I was going to say, I'm like, ah, that's not that much money considering how much they blew. They, I'm like, that's like a weekend getaway for that guy. Oh, yeah. That's nothing. <laughs> that's, not, that's a summer retreat. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's like, uh, that's probably like how much he spent on his wedding. Um, <laughs> You know, but no, I mean, like that's real money, uh, money. like all jokes aside. And so when you put the oxygen mask on, then right away, you kind of got punched in the gut with COVID. Yes. Hey gang, Darius Mishaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled our, my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius, scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. 
and they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. COVID, I mean, who could have predicted that? You, so you became CEO in what, what time in, in when in 18 was that? Uh, it was late. It was October of 2018. And then COVID hit, of course, in March of 20. So I mean, about a year and a half prior to COVID. Yeah. So, so you're just kind of getting your bearings. And then and when did they spin you guys out of WeWork? <laughs> in March of 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they died. Right. So that month, what happened was... It was a long process to kind of sell the company with lots of fits and starts of people wanting to acquire Meetup and then basically destroy the company. And then after all these companies started pulling out because they started hearing about this mysterious disease in China that could end up coming here and and the bids started going down, 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 down. That's when I pulled Kevin Ryan in and I said, okay, I think we could get Meetup acquired for an exceptional price. And, And by exceptional, I mean a small, a very small percentage relative to how much we were paid. And at the time, Meetup was losing because of all the excesses that WeWork had facilitated. In fact, when I joined, one of the KPIs, the key performance indicators, was how many people you could hire in your company, how fast you could hire people. Yes, seriously. That was one of like the key things was number of people hired. <laughs> Who does no, that? Note to sell. Is that a leading or lagging indicator? <laughs> it's a leading indicator towards like future disaster. I think. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm like a lagging indicator to like going out of business. Uh. Right. So, <laughs> so it was kind of ridiculous, those things. So anyway, so it's March and every the world's falling apart. You can't meet up in person anymore. We saw our events go down in China by 95%. In Italy, then after that, by like 90%. Wow. One person in our office was the, one of the first people in all of New York to get COVID. So we had to shut our entire office down. So someone's published an article, Meetup, which is it, WeWork's office, can't meet up anymore, shuts down the entire WeWork buildings. That was that was fun. And, um, and then we sold the company. And we went from an $18 million loss in 2019 to $3 million of profit in 2020. Nice. Yeah. That's so huge. nice turnaround. Yeah. So in your first 18 months as CEO, you dealt with the blow up of WeWork, a selling of the company, and COVID all in the same time. Man, you got it. You, you, <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, better to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just wolfing down some some food right before this this podcast. And as I'm like shoving like like some bread with some mozzarella cheese in my mouth. I say to my wife, people think, you know, the life of a CEO is all glamorous. They don't know what the heck my life no. looks like. It's so not glamorous. It's not even funny. No, on paper, it looks cool. But in real life, it's a lot of work. So fast forward, you guys, you know, what, what do you think? What was uh, probably a combination of what? Cutting expenses? Did you guys move a bunch of events online and take... Exactly. So we went from not... For, in our first 18 years at the time, not allowing online events because we were all about IRL or all about in-person. And that was the focus to saying, what is our mission? Is our mission IRL or is our mission helping people to be connected? Is our mission helping to reduce loneliness in the world? Is that our mission? And clearly that's our mission. 
In the last two years of the pandemic, we've had over 5 million um, online events through Zoom. Wow. We've had over 30 million people, and like you said, 190 plus countries um, participate in um, online meetup events. And now we're a combination. We're currently 68% as of this week in person and 32% online. And it's totally varying depending on the country. So in like you know Brazil or some other countries where COVID is still very high, we might be only 20% in person. In Australia, we're like 90% in person, for example. Wow. And so you guys, I was going to ask you a question. Going back to COVID, did you feel like you guys were able to see in real time before the news hit? Like, were you like actually like a step ahead of this, like CDC in the news on like what was going down? Oh my God. We have these data maps that are so freaking cool by country and by state of what percentage of events are in person versus versus online and how that's changing over time. And we actually see this information and because it impacts everything and uh, people's sentiments and people's actions. So we have some really interesting data of what's happening right now. You know, not surprisingly, Western Europe is, is really moving a lot more in person than, than for a long time. And there's some countries like Argentina, for example, and there's some states that are um, not moving to in-person like Vermont as, as much as they did, because I think there's more of a, uh, there's the blue red, there's an enormous blue red divide in terms of in-person versus online, actually. But Florida and Texas, they've been in-person for a while. <laughs> it's like, what COVID? Exactly. <laughs> Quit exactly. being a pansy and take your mask off. We're in Texas. <laughs> exactly. I, I was, I was a, Although know. Austin is a blueberry and a big, a big tomato soup. So, you know. Yeah, it is. It is but I, you do have, it's interesting. It's, I mean, I don't even, I think it's more purple than blue. It's, it's, it's like independent more than anything here. It's a lot of just, it's not even either. It's not, you know, like Austin's kind of its own thing. Cause I lived in San Francisco for 17 years before I moved here. Yeah. That's and, deep, blue, deep, deep, blue, deep, which blue. is like, yeah, that's like indigo blue. <laughs> And I'm, I'm hosting an event. Which, so I live in Austin. I'm hosting an event. I'm a chairperson of this event at MIT called Gathering of Titans. And I'm trying to organize the event. I'm, and that's a very, very blue state, right? Especially Boston, right? This is outside Boston. And, and it's like, I, I'm like, it's like night and day compared to Texas. So we live in, you know, newsflash, we live in a country with like totally divided beliefs. Wow. Right? It's, it's painful. <laughs> So right now you guys are on this new kick where you guys are, you know, doing a combination of in real life and as well as virtual, which is cool. Cause I think that the kind of different strokes for different folks, right? Mm-hmm. One of my questions for you, and this is, I'm going to go, I'm coming way out of left field. I don't know if you, I wonder if you've been asked this question before. So b- before you answer the question, tell me if you've been asked it before. Okay. So, and we're, we're like both Gen Xers. So we're like, mm-hmm. we, we have one foot in the, in the analog world and one foot in the digital world, right? Like we're, we're, we're one of the, if you ask my kids, I'm all in the analog world, but yes, I, I, <laughs> they don't know any, they don't know any different. Exactly. God bless them. Um, no, we're, we're the ultimate generation because we yeah. have both, right? Yeah. We speak both languages. When you're hiring for small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When I needed to expand my team, I wanted more than just resumes. I wanted quality professionals who were the perfect fit for our culture and goals. And LinkedIn Jobs delivered just that. LinkedIn Jobs isn't just another job board. LinkedIn Jobs has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. 
So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidate within 24 hours. They understand the challenges small businesses face, which is why they're constantly innovating to make the hiring process easier. And just recently, LinkedIn launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions in a snap. Trust me, I've used it. It's like having a personal assistant to guide you through the process, making it quicker and more efficient than ever before. And let me tell you, it made all the difference. With LinkedIn's help, I've been able to attract top talent and build a team that's truly exceptional. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash greatness. That's linkedin.com forward slash greatness to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ever walked into a place and instantly felt drawn in by the scent? Let me share a recent shopping experience. It was a crisp morning and I decided to browse through a new store that had just opened in the neighborhood. As I stepped inside, a refreshing scent of citrus and pine greeted me, instantly lifting my mood and making me feel welcome. As I explored the aisles, the pleasant aroma lingered, enhancing my shopping experience and making it more enjoyable. It made me realize how much scent can influence our perception of a store and how it can make a difference in our overall experience. For stores using scent strategically, that can help them stand out from the competition and create a welcoming environment that keeps customers coming back. If you've ever been in a Banana Republic, Abercrombie, Marriott, or Weston, you know how fragrance can take your experience from good to incredible. Scent Air guided stores, hotels, event spaces, and other businesses in creating fragrance experiences that encourage customers to spend more, stay longer, and leave them happier, ultimately enabling businesses to stand out among their competitors. The secret behind scent marketing is that it's more than just filling your space with a nice scent. Scent Air is proven to increase earned revenue up to 9%, keep customers in your business up to 18% longer, and boost customer satisfaction up to 20% more. Give customers an experience they won't forget with Scent Air's professional quality fragrances designed for businesses just like yours. Go to scentair.com forward slash greatness to learn how you can save 25% off your first Whisper Max diffuser and explore other great deals today. So Metaverse is here. And I hang out with some millennials and Gen Xers and, you know, it's painful at times. But, you know, I mean, I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk last night. I was talking about that 30 years from now. He's like, I, was, I remember when we went back in high school when there was beepers, right? And, and he's like, and the only people who had beepers were drug dealers. And now I remember that. Yeah, I remember that too. I know. I was like, oh yeah, I know all the drug dealers that had them. Um, but he's like, and now you know, we 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 all have phones and we can't live without them, which is really just a a, a more developed version of a, of a pager, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's like, and now everyone says, oh look at those kids on their pagers, you know, or on on their on their phones, you know, they can't get off the phones. He's like, look, thirty years from now, people are going to be sitting in their homes, strapping on their VR gear, and just going hanging out in the metaverse, like you know, I mean. Part of me is like, God, I hope that doesn't happen. And a part of me is like, probably going to happen. So when you start thinking of Meetup and going into the metaverse, I mean, I kind of believe that that's like the, the next step for you guys. What, 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 have you been asked this question before? Number one. And then number two, what are your, what are your thoughts? So I have not been asked the question before. Yes. So you nailed it. That's a, it's a really, really important and great question. Here are my thoughts. My thoughts are that we are people with a DNA that's been built up for however long humans have been around, 10,000 or 100,000 years, whatever number you want, to, you want to choose. We date back to like Paleolithic and Neolithic evolutionary man, where we were hunters and gatherers. And the only ways in which we were able to survive was that we had to be around other people. We had to have community directly in person. And maybe this is more analog than digital, but I think that it's the human, deep human experience in order to drive happiness and joy in this world 
to need to interact in person. And as much as the metaverse will and holograms and other things that will be created will, will very much enable experiences that are similar to in-person, they're not going to be directly the in-person experience. And, um, and I think that it is going to be a source of frustration for my kids of their kids. Yeah. And they're like, when my kids are going to be like, can you please put the, you know, the meta goggles in the, uh, uh, not off the table and not hide on all the time, you know, um, <laughs> get your meta goggles off at the dinner table, off of the dinner table already. Come on. Um, <laughs> We're having breakfast in the meta room. right now. <laughs> I think it's important for meetup to embrace meta just like it's important for the meta world, just like it's important for us to brace online. And we're actually looking at different communities and different platforms that can help to drive that embrace because that is the future, but it's not going to be the sole future. It's going to be a combination of, of in-person, some kind of maybe online thing. And, and obviously metaverse will be increasingly a big percentage. Like all of our video gaming meetup groups, chances are we have a lot. They're going to move much more towards metaverse type experiences. So how can we as Meetup integrate with those platforms the same ways that we've integrated with Zoom, you know, or others? So that's that's upon us to, to do and to figure out, you know, the right crypto and blockchain type technologies to be able to make Web3, um, you know, a reality for Meetup. Yeah, very, I love that answer. So I'm going to take a hard right turn because we got a book coming out. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier I, that I started this as a live stream. It was actually for my book launch. So I would interview a bunch of people. And this is one of the reasons I started this. And I was like, oh, I love this. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of people's book launches. Um, Decide and Conquer, the 44 decisions that will make or break all leaders. Coming out March 8th. Tell us about your book. Okay. Let's well, going to go through each of them, one through 44 right now. Just kidding. Everyone. Number one. That would be really boring. <laughs> but what I'll say is that. The reason I wrote a book is because I have been thinking deeply about kind of decision-making best practices for a long time. I've been obsessed with understanding people's biases, whether it's recency bias or status quo bias or sunk cost fallacy. Um, there's only all these biases that people have that disenable them to make ultimately smart decisions. Mm-hmm. And we are all making literally like thousands of decisions every day, even deciding not to make a decision or to empower someone else to make a decision is actually making a decision. So I've been obsessed with the impact of decision-making on like life experiences and business experiences. But I didn't want to write like some boring kind of textbooky business book. I needed some crazy, insane roller coaster experience of life that I could tell like this story and use that story as a way to teach others about how to make smarter decisions. And then we work happened. So, you know, the story was so crazy around joining WeWork, even around some of the experience I had at Investopedia with Barry Diller and it was part of IAC and other life experiences that I've had. But the story was so particularly crazy about with WeWork that I, I literally, you know, vomited out. Maybe that's not what an author should say, but whatever, you know, a, a book, yeah. 75,000 words in just like a couple of months. And then, of course, spent a lot of time editing and cleaning it up afterwards. But that's what the book is about. The book is taking, helping people to make smarter decisions. So, an example of something is um, when people people oftentimes say to me things like, David, Darius, I'm sure you've heard this as well. You're so lucky. Like, how did you get so lucky? It seems like like lucky things just keep happening to you. Suddenly, you know, you're on the greatness machine. That's lucky and all these lucky things that happen. How does that happen? So the answer is you could actually, with smart decision-making, 
create lucky things to happen to you. If you think about when you make a decision, whether or not you're opening up lots of different options and lots of different opportunities for things to happen, or does this, this, this decision close out different opportunities and disenable great things to potentially happen? And that's kind of like a value in decision-making of how do I build optionality into my decisions so that lucky things can end up actually happening to me? That's kind of one example. So, so would that be like when you're making a decision? So let's use an example. Let's say somebody had a jo- two job opportunities. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So let me give that. Let's say someone's a finance major and they're super into finance. They could either decide to become an investment banker, right? Or they could decide to become a trader. Both of them, they can make a shit ton of money. If they decide to become a trader, then the number of options that they have available to themselves is actually pretty low. They're going to become a commodities trader. And the next job, they could become another commodities trader or a macro trader. Very few options. If they decide from because they're great in finance, they want to become an investment banker, oh my God. Now, they could work in M&A. They could work as an analyst. They could work in a larger company. They could do a hundred different things. Everyone wants to hire a former banker to their company. So becoming an investment banker creates a significant number of options for yourself, of which then you're background is then very applicable for. Becoming a trader limits the number of options for yourself, and then you don't have that many different other opportunities to then take advantage of. So that, that's a great example, Darius. Yeah, I love that. And so when we when we start walking through, like, so it sounds like the macro sto- the story is the story of, of your experience with Meetup and with WeWork. Mm-hmm. And then the 44, is it 44 lessons, I guess, that, that were taught throughout the way? Like, how's the story come about? Yeah, like one lesson, for example, is before you even start the job, how to set yourself up for success before you even start. So I spent a week just meeting with WeWork and the executive team prior to even walking into the office because I knew I'd be barraged once I walked into the office. How do you spend that first week or time preparing to to enable success before you even start your job? That's like an example of, of one, you know, one lesson. And then there's kind of lessons throughout the book that I faced that many different managers and, and individuals, entrepreneurs, you know, tend to face as well. And so when you start to think of like, when you wrote the book, obviously it's it, it funny you said vomit. So I, when I wrote my book, I, I, um, my editor calls the first draft of the book, the vomit draft. <laughs> he, he says, just pour, he said, and, and this is his, his quote. Uh, yeah. He, he's, he's an interesting guy. You know, you know, you remember Tucker Max, you know him? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. It's his company. So, oh, wow. so Tucker was the, was, was my, he was actually his company and, and he's a friend of mine. And so Tucker's like, look, no one looks pretty when they vomit. So you just get it out of you and just know it's going to be ugly. So the, no, first the MVP through, methodology, like, one of my favorite podcasts, um, Mark Zuckerberg is talking about perfect being the, 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 how it's important to be more imperfect than perfect. If you're not embarrassed by what you first put out there as an MVP, you haven't done, you, you, you waited too long. Yeah. Same with the book. You just got to be embarrassed by the vomit and then hopefully it all works out. And yep. in your I case, it did. Hopefully it will mine too. Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. But, but the, what's the quote? It's a uh, perfection is the enemy of progress. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So, that, so, so when we start thinking of this book and, and who is the ideal audience for it, like, like, who do you, who's your avatar? Who, who do you think was like, hey, it's a no brainer for them to buy this book? Cause this is the, the book they got to read. Yeah, anyone who is an aspiring entrepreneur or aspiring kind of business leader, this is the right book for them to help to set them up for success, you know, over the next five, 10 years. Okay. So if you're an entrepreneur, business leader out there, you want to get set up for success, my main man, David here, who's worked his way through the ranks 
of many a company that you've heard of. It's telling you right now, you got to buy his book, The 44 Decisions to Make or Break All Leaders. I'm going to, you know, you don't know this about me, but I always like to support book launches. So I'm going to buy 10 copies of your book. Dude, Darius, thank you. You're the man. Yeah. It's, I'll get it's, you a good. I'll get you a good. I'll get you a discount. You don't have to go on Amazon. I'll get you a better. <laughs> get you a better price. All right. So, so send me the 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 back back room bazaar discount. <laughs> but guys, listen. Well, look, we're coming to the end of the show here. But this has been so much fun, dude. Seriously, I'm really, I really love your story. I'm so excited for the book. Uh, you know, I'm going to promote this out to my to many of my CEO groups. So I'll take those ten copies and hand that out to some of my buddies. But everyone out there, you guys need to go. I'm looking at it right now. You can get it where where all book, major books are sold. Is that yeah, correct? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookstores, you name it, we got it. Yeah. So guys, uh, book launches are a big deal. The first week of books is what makes the, or breaks the book, at least in the first year. And we got to support our friend David here. So go out there, buy the book. Go, is there a website or anywhere where people can connect there with you is. if they want to learn more? Yeah, there is. You can go to decideandconquerbook.com. And uh, there's uh, different people that have provided endorsements on the book. Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor, Tobin Shakar, the, the writer of Happier. And you can learn about what some of the things they said. And you can just go to Amazon and type in Amazon Decide and Conquer and get the book there too. There and there's go. also an Audible copy. And if you listen to the book and a Kindle copy and all that other fun stuff. Awesome. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and we'll put that in the show notes, but please go support the book. This sounds like a fascinating book. I can't wait to read it. It's going to be on my reading list this year and so happy to have you here. I'm so grateful to get to meet you, David. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to meet you in person, Darius. That's what it's about. Thank you so much. This is so great. You are listening to The Greatness Machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet. With fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at the price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Don't let recipe boredom strike because HelloFresh has more options than ever before. Dig into your biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. As someone who's always on the go, the convenience of having delicious and nutritious meals delivered right to my doorstep has been a game changer. I'll never forget the first time I tried HelloFresh, the excitement of unboxing fresh ingredients and the joy of cooking up a restaurant-quality meal in my own kitchen. It felt like I had my own personal chef minus the hefty price tag. What really hooked me was the variety of recipes they offered. From exotic cuisines to classic comfort food, HelloFresh keeps my taste buds dancing. And the best part, 
No more last minute grocery runs or wasted ingredients. Everything I need is right in the box. Ready to join America's number one meal kit family? Dive into a world of flavor with HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash great free and use the code great free that G R E A T F R E E for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash great free with code great free. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 